0: You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Morning. Last Sunday we kind of started a brand new series where we were kind of talking about probably one of the most famous teachings that Jesus uh, ever gave. Uh, a lot of us know that teaching by the name Sermon on the Mount, or some of you may be familiar with that. is called the Beatitudes, and the teaching that Jesus gave, uh, again, it, it's an amazing teaching, and it begins there in Matthew's Gospel, beginning in chapter 5, and one of the interesting facets uh, of this uh, teaching, and I, and I covered it somewhat last week, is Jesus is showing us, he's instructing us how to position ourselves to walk in God's fullness, to walk in God's blessing. And and so this teaching that Jesus is giving there is, he says, if you'll do these things, if you'll position your heart in such a way, you will be blessed. And so he says, blessed is, blessed is, and and he lays forth the conditions to be able to walk in that blessing. And and last week, we kind of talked about that word blessing in the Greek. It means someone who is fully satisfied regardless of the circumstances. Now, the amazing thing to me is is I've kind of watched the aftermath there in Charleston this week. It's absolutely amazing to me how people are, are emerging out of that with forgiveness. I mean, these are family members who, whose loved ones were gunned down. And when they had the opportunity to, to speak to the, to the uh, guy who did this, what they wanted them to know was, I forgive you. I mean, man, they're walking. They're positioning themselves to walk in such a way that they are fully satisfied regardless of the circumstances. Albeit, those are extreme circumstances. But that's the challenge. A lot of times we can do that when circumstances are not so bad. But man, the rubber really meets the road when you have to go into a place these people are and, and reach down deep inside your spirit and to be able to walk in such a way to be satisfied, to walk in God's blessing. I mean, to be able to walk in God's favor in such a way that nothing is gonna shake you. Nothing's gonna shake your faith in God. And that's that's what that means to be blessed, is to be satisfied fully regardless of the circumstances you find yourself in, to possess the favor of God. How many of you want to possess the favor of God? Jesus says, this is how you do it. This is how you position your heart to be able to possess the favor of God. It, it also means to have the kingdom of God within one's heart. Th- that's the concept of blessing And Jesus is saying, if you really want to walk in the fullness of that, here is the way to do it. let's be honest. If you look at any of those eight short sentences, which begin this profound teaching, Jesus is telling us how to position our hearts to receive again the fullness of God's blessing. But let's be honest. This is the exact opposite of how the world thinks this is counter-cultural to the way secular people view life and the world. I mean, just look at the first four. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. These are all things the world looks at and says, I don't want that. I'm avoiding that at all costs. No one wants anything to do with poverty of any kind. No one wants to mourn. I mean, we want to be happy, happy, happy all the time. Meekness, and that's a word that rhymes with weakness, It's a dog-eat-dog world out there, and meekness, that's going to get nothing but get you trampled and taken advantage of. Only the strong survive, and I don't want anything to do with meekness. What blessing is there in hunger and thirsting? It sounds so third world compared to the land of abundance. I think this is how the world kind of looks at and reacts to what Jesus is attempting to speak to here. And he's laying before us, this is the pathway, this is the threshold, this is the doorway to walking in the fullness of God's blessing, to possess the favor of God, to have the kingdom of God within one's heart. And again, you have to admit, you have to to be a disciple of Jesus. You have to be a believer to ever want to pursue this, especially the one we're going to talk about this week. And none of these is there a natural inclination. I mean, your human flesh pushes back. It resists all of this. we got to be led into this willingly. We've got to ask God, would you lead me into this? Because it's not something an unbeliever or, or a nominal Christian would desire or aspire to. Last week we looked at that first beatitude there found in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Like I said last week, this is the first one because it really is the most important one. As a matter of fact, if you don't get the first one, if you don't walk in the first one, you'll never fully walk in any of the other remaining beatitudes Until we realize, become aware, recognize how much we need God in our lives. How spiritually impoverished we really are without God. We will never mourn. We'll never pursue meekness. We'll never hunger or thirst for righteousness or for his kingdom. In any way that will be meaningful. This is a work that that God must do. It's It's a work God desires to do in each one of us. But folks, Jesus is saying, until you become aware of how poor in spirit you are, until you recognize the gap, the spiritual deficiency that exists between your physical reality, where you currently are, Wherever that may be in your walk with God, and realizing there is so much more that God has for you, so much more that God wants to bless your lives with, that's the gap, that's the deficiency. And he says, until you become aware of that gap, that deficiency between where you are and all that I have for you, he says, you'll never, ever fully embrace the remaining beatitudes in any meaningful way. It's why it's the first one. It's the most important one. So let's move on to the second beatitude in verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And I don't think I need to define the word mourn. I think most of us have a pretty good framework for that in our culture. However, it is interesting that the Greek word used for mourn here, it is the strongest word for mourning in the Greek language. It is the same Greek word used for mourning the dead. That passionate, deep lament of one who has died that you loved. It's the kind of mourning Jacob experienced when he was told that his son Joseph was dead there in Genesis 37. It is the kind of mourning, it is the kind of grief that just takes hold of you. It cannot be hidden. It cannot be controlled. So verse 4 could be translated in a way that says, blessed is the one who mourns like mourning over the death of a loved one. Another term that maybe some of you are familiar with is this sense of godly sorrow. Again, secular people, even nominal believers, they read this and they think this is crazy, it's absurd, it makes no sense. A blessing to mourn? A blessing to be Filled with sorrow? I think most of us would agree. It sounds undesirable, and most of us would prefer to avoid it if at all possible. So what exactly is Jesus talking about here? Again, referring back to last week, being poor in spirit. Again, we talked about how we see ourselves, the physical reality. Again, where we currently are in our walk, our relationship with God, and recognizing God has so much more And God wants to bless us in so many other ways. And again, it's just recognizing that gap between the physical and the spiritual reality. So being poor in spirit, it speaks of how we see ourselves in that deficiency. Mourning speaks to how we feel our reaction to what we see. So we talk about the gap, that deficiency, Between where you currently are in your relationship with God versus the spiritual reality and all the blessings, the promises that God has for us that we're just not experiencing for a variety of reasons. What is your reaction to that? As you see that gap, as you see that deficiency, what is your reaction? What is your response to that? And that's why Jesus said, blessed are those who who see that and mourn. That, that, that are saying, God, I want to walk so much more in your fullness. God, I want to go deeper in all that you have for me. God, I recognize there's so much more. And for whatever reasons, God, I'm not walking in that. But God, I desire to. God, take me, lead me. Again, mourning, it, it's a reaction to what we see in our spiritual poverty. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about here. And I use the topic of forgiveness. Again, j- just an incredible Illustration of that in Charleston, as family member after family member comes forward and just says, we're gonna walk in forgiveness. This is powerful. There's, I mean, it's just, as you watch that, I mean, we'll never understand that unless we're in a place like that. And God forbid we should ever be. But again, just a powerful example of what Jesus is talking here in Matthew 18. Peter asked Jesus this question. He said, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, Jesus said, not seven times, but 70 times seven. So what is the spiritual reality? I mean, what is is God calling us to in, in that kind of forgiveness? Obviously, he's telling his disciples that would include us. To fully and freely forgive others just as we have been fully and freely forgiven by God. It is amazing because elsewhere as we get into the teaching on the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus says just a couple of verses later, he says, if you do not forgive others from the heart, you will not be forgiven by your heavenly Father. So Jesus kind of takes Peter's standard of seven times there. And he raises it exponentially to say, not are you to forgive seven times, but I want you to forgive 490 times, to which a lot of us think, so then it's okay on 491th time. No, 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 no. I'll guarantee you that probably by the time you get to 200, this is going to become so natural. There's just going to be just a a natural inclination to walk fully and freely in that. You'll begin to not keep count. It'll become so natural. It'll become a work of the Spirit in and through you. That's the point Jesus is getting to. Oh, long before you ever get to 70 times 7, you're going to walk fully and freely in this to a point you won't even keep track anymore. That's the spiritual reality. What's the physical reality? How are we doing in that? Our relationships. Uh, Let's be honest. It it can be very different from the spiritual reality that Jesus set forth there. I know God wants me and, and you to fully and freely forgive others. But the reality can be is that some of us here this morning, we're struggling in certain relationships to live out that forgiveness fully and freely, aren't we? Again, that's that gap between the physical reality, the spiritual reality. In my inability, my weakness, and my hard-heartedness to forgive, as I look at that gap, and Jesus says, man, if you'll just begin to mourn, if you'll just begin to react in that in such a way that you just begin to cry out for my strength in your place of weakness, for my power in your place of inability, God will begin to move on that. As we are in that place of spiritual poverty, we're recognizing, we're aware of all that God has for us that, that it has the opportunity, the potential to be a place of blessedness for us. We'll cry out to God, and as God intervenes on our behalf, he overwhelms us with his presence and his power to really begin to walk this out, to be able to forgive, and therein find comfort. It's amazing, again, the power of forgiveness. In this, they, they have let go of their need for revenge against this young man. That they've let go of their need for any kind of justice beyond what the courts may do, the, the justice of God at, at a later time. They've let go of that. And in that forgiveness, they find freedom. This is one of the ways we can again discover that blessing of mourning, where we again see that spiritual gap, we recognize the deficiencies. Whatever issue it may be where we realize we are falling dreadfully short of God's glorious standard in this area, in this area, but as I cry out, as I mourn, as I just ask God to intervene on my behalf, God comes in his power and his presence, and he leads us. Again, that's why it's so important. It's so critical. As I stated last week... We need to be aware we've got to recognize our continual ongoing need for God in our lives. This isn't a one-time recognition and then we just move on. It is a daily walk where we realize I need God desperately more today than I did yesterday, more tomorrow than I will today. and It's that ongoing need Another way I can see Matthew 5.4 being applicable is with intercessors, with people who are standing in the gap, or people who are kind of watchmen on the wall. Ezekiel 22.30 refers to this. This is God speaking to the prophet Ezekiel, and he says, I searched for a man among you who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land so that I would not destroy it, but I found no one. Ezekiel himself was appointed by God to be a watchman for the nation of Israel and there in Ezekiel 317 God is speaking to him son of man in reference to Ezekiel he said I have appointed you a watchman to the house of Israel he said whenever you hear a word from my mouth warn them from me so as one who would stand in the gap or someone that would be a watchman on the wall Again, it would represent that they're able to look and to see, again, the spiritual gap, the spiritual deficiency, the spiritual poverty, where the people, the cities, the nations are compared to where God would want them to be. And oftentimes, their reaction to that would be that they would just begin to mourn and cry out for God for intercession. They would occupy that gap. They would mourn. They would call out for God for breakthrough, for blessings, So Jesus would say, blessed are those intercessors. Blessed are those people who are watchmen on the wall. Blessed are those who will stand in the gap for the sins, for the deficiencies, for the rebellion of the people, the cities, the nations before God. I often see this uh, and hear this in our daily prayer times at noon here at the church when we often stand and we intercede on behalf of our city, our state, and our nation. And I'm so thankful that we have a prayer ministry here that sees that and takes that role very seriously. However, I think the best application of the mornings come, again, as we mourn, we recognize, we become aware of our own sinfulness, the sinfulness of other people, the sins of cities and nations. One of the first challenges I think a Christian hears when they're confronted with the gospel message is that word repent. Repentance is it's the response. It's the way that we respond to the invitation of God's grace. Repentance, again, it, it involves us recognizing our sinfulness, turning away from that and turning toward the living God. And, and we, we just begin to change And be transformed more and more into his image. Repentance involves turning away from our sinfulness, our rebellious ways. I mean, where we recognize we've been living life in such a way apart from God and that we deserve eternal punishment in hell. Okay, I know a lot of churches, words like punishment and hell, they're not popular. I've been in churches that have actually banned me from using words like that because it makes us feel bad. We live in a culture today where nobody wants to feel bad, everybody wants to feel good. Problem with that whole approach is we are bad, we're sinful, we're rebellious. We are people who rightly deserve eternal punishment in hell. It's serious. As a matter of fact, you know, it is so serious. God decided he had to step in and do something about it because he was the only one who could. What did he do? He took on flesh became a human being like you and I, only one without sin. And he lived a righteous life and he offered up his life as the perfect, complete, final sacrifice on our behalf, in our place. And because of that sacrifice, his death upon the cross, the wrath of God, again another unpopular phrase, was satisfied. And we were given the precious gift of forgiveness through that shed blood Eternal life and salvation. But folks, here's the reality. Until we recognize that, until we become aware of our own sinfulness, until we recognize and acknowledge our rebellious ways cost an innocent man, albeit God in human flesh, it cost him untold suffering and death. And you'll never truly appreciate all that God offers, all that God did for you, until you come to recognize how sinful we really were and are, and what it cost God to remedy that. This is why the cross, to me, is such a powerful symbol. Symbol. The cross is a profound reminder of the breadth, the length, the depth that God went to in order to rescue and redeem fallen, sinful, condemned people. As we look at the cross, we become aware of what our sinfulness did. One of the greatest functions of the cross today it is to open the eyes of mankind to the horrors of sin. The greatest function of the cross today is not to wear it as a necklace. It's to recognize the horrors of mankind's sinfulness. For when we truly become aware and we recognize sin in all of its horror, when we, we finally acknowledge that and we come to a place And we just begin to mourn and cry out to God. Jesus says, you'll be blessed in that. You'll find comfort. There's comfort in salvation. There's comfort in forgiveness. There's comfort in redemption. But it begins when we just begin to cry out from a place of desperation. God, without you, I have nothing. So I believe an accurate translation of Jesus' words there in Matthew 5-4 would be, blessed is the one who is truly, intently sorry for their sin, the one whose heart is truly broken for what their sin has done to God and to Jesus Christ, the one who sees the cross and is appalled by the havoc brought about by our sin. Jesus would say, blessed is the one who truly discovers and becomes aware of and recognizes Their true state of sinfulness expresses godly sorrow over their sin because Jesus said, when you come to that place, you're going to be comforted. And that's the beauty is a lot of times we we think a road like that is going to take us to a place of shame and of guilt and of condemnation, but it doesn't. Jesus says, man, when you begin to mourn, I'm going to bring you to a place of comfort. I'm going to bring you to a place of fullness of joy. And until we do that, until we take into account the seriousness, the ramifications of our own sin, the horrific cost of the cross, if we minimize that, folks, in our lives, we will only minimize it in the lives of others as well. You know what? If I see my sin is really no big deal, I'm gonna look at your sin and say, it's not a big deal either. This gets to the second application. I believe so much of what we are witnessing in the world today what we saw this past week unfold in Charleston, South Carolina. In terms of the discord, the disharmony, the mayhem, all of this is the direct result. It is the fruit of the lack of awareness and acknowledgement of how sinful, contrary, and rebellious mankind is toward the ways of God and the impact, the effect, the fruit that we are beginning to see bore out in our culture. If any of you heard scuttlebutt coming in this morning, it's all true. So let me just give this warning. I gave it to first service. I struggled with this all week, whether to do this or not. And I, uh, even first service in the middle of the worship service, I'm just like, God, are you sure about this? Uh. So, I'm just going to kind of give a warning to parents. If you've got kids here this morning and there's family back there, if any of you have kids here this morning, um, I'm going to just give you a warning. I am about to get into some things that are just graphic, graphic, graphic. I, I just I can't do it justice by just nibbling around the edges on this. I've got to give you some specific examples. And unfortunately, the examples are extremely graphic and in, in, in sexual content. There's just no way around this. So if you've got young children here this morning, I just encourage you, please, uh, I think they can go downstairs with the the children. This definitely is, it's just not even appropriate for adults to hear this, let alone kids. I just want to warn everybody before I received a phone call this week uh, from a representative from the family leader here in Iowa asking me if I was aware of the uh, previous governor's conference on the LGBTQ, which, uh, for those of you that don't know, stands for Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transsexual, Questioning um, Youth event was held this past spring. I had not. I had heard nothing about this. And I'm, I mean, I'm a pretty avid reader um, and did not see anything on this at all. Um, So she emailed me several articles, and I got to tell you, I I was shocked by what I read. And and I read a lot, I know a lot of what's going on in the culture, and I was just shocked at what I read there. This event was held this past uh, April 3rd, Good Friday of all days, to hold an event like this in Altoona, and it was attended by well over a thousand high school students some of these students were eighth grade 14 years old and they were bused in from all over iowa now the event was billed it was kind of advertised as um, an event that was going to kind of help foster kind of more of an accepting attitude among students toward gay and lesbian bisexual transgendered questioning kids, kind of, you know, again, just uh, promoting that, that we should not be bullying them, we shouldn't be doing anything to, um, you know, beat up on them. And I, I got to be honest with you, I'm all for that. I don't think there's ever a time or a reason that anybody should be harassed or bullied. Uh, I don't think anybody's constitutional rights should be uh, denied them just because of their sexual orientation. So if that is all the event was designed to do was just to help people become more accepting and and to be kinder uh, to those who were different from them. I'm all for that. And I think most of you would be as well. That's how the event was advertised. Now, let me tell you what actually happened in the event. The conference included many speakers With a wide range of topics such as one speaker wore a dress that was made of condoms so they could be easily detached and used as needed. Another speaker shared a very rousing story of how he used social media to find friends and accidentally stumbled into an orgy. Again, sharing this with high school students, some of them as young as 14 years old. One session taught transsexual girls how to sew fake testicles into their underwear in order to pass themselves off as boys. Another session taught girls how to use binders so as to reduce the visibility of their breasts and discussed hormone treatments with these kids that would delay the onset of puberty and assuring the kids these drugs were safe. Keep in mind, again, high school students, some of them as young as 14 years old. One presenter told students who asked whether anal sex hurt a lesbian responded saying it really depends on how big the device is that your partner straps on. One comedian by the name of Sam Killerman told the high school audience how pleasurable it is for gay couples to eat each other's behinds and how to use different flavors of oil to make it taste better. High school students, some of these kids as young as eighth grade. I apologize. Uh, This is deeply offensive, and I know many of you didn't come prepared or expecting to hear this. And I'm sure if you thought that this was gonna happen, might have chosen elsewhere or not this morning. Those of you who may be first-time guests here, I assure you this is not our standard fare here on Sunday mornings. Again, I really wrestled with how much of this to include. So I understand if you're offended, if you're uncomfortable, we'll be putting uh, Pastor Mark and Pastor Jim and Pastor Jason's phone numbers up on the boards later. You can call them and share your concerns with them. But if this is the kind of depravity, being dished out to high school students, this isn't even appropriate, I don't think, for adult consumption, let alone high school students, but if this kind of depravity doesn't bring us as a people and a nation to a place of godly sorrow and mourning where we're crying out for God to intervene, crying out for God's mercy, crying out for spiritual breakthrough and revival in the land, what will? If this isn't the line for us, what is If this doesn't compel us to action, what will? These are children. How dark, how deep. Does the depravity in our culture, in our schools, in our homes, in our cities, in our nations have to go before we will stand and intercede with mourning and godly sorrow over the ever-ongoing, widening, deepening decay of our cities, our states, our schools, our nation? If this doesn't move us to action, what will? Today's final main, day, main stage speaker at this event was a drag performer. For those of you not familiar with that, it is a man who is dressed as a woman. Name was Coco, he, her. I don't know how they do this, but its name was Coco Peru. Uh, Coco's performance included a song with the lyrics, and this is the, this is the song that she sang for high school students. People suck. They don't give an F, and she did not use just the word F. She used the whole word. People suck. They don't give an F about you. People thrive on smashing our pride, which is gay pride, to the ground. People that suck, F you. How's that for tolerance? Does that sound tolerant to you? If you don't agree with me, F you. Toward the other performance, Coco told the kids, if you see a car in your high school parking lot, and it has that bumper sticker, God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Here was her advice. She said, reach down inside yourself and give them a blessing. Her word. That's not what blessing means. I defined blessing for you. Here's how she defined blessing. Reach down inside yourself and give them a blessing, and slash their tires. How's that for anti-bullying? If you don't agree with me, I'm gonna slash your tires. I'm gonna bless you. Many teachers were so shocked at what they saw, what they heard, they were calling their principals, they were calling their administrators, telling them this is what's going on. We are asking permission to leave immediately. Now this is the 10th year of this event. It was started under Governor Vilsack's administration. Governor Branstad has kept his association, the governor's title, with this event. Even though he nor Governor Vilsack had anything to do with the event, they were not responsible for the content therein. So I'm I'm not laying the blame at either of those doorsteps. But because it is called the governor's conference on the LGTBQ youth, because it has the governor's title. It does lend to it an air of legitimacy, and it implies that the governor's title associated with this makes it okay, makes it acceptable. What some lawmakers, educators, pastors, and parents across the state are asking is we are asking Governor Branstad to please remove your title from this event. If they choose to continue on with the event, that's fine. We think it is highly inappropriate. We think it is indoctrination. It has nothing to do. It's gone way beyond the scope of of anti-bullying, of tolerance. It's gone into indoctrination. It is teaching. It is opening the door for kids to experiment uh, in, in, in very destructive ways. So we are starting by just asking the governor, would you please remove your title from this? In a couple of weeks, pastors, uh, several pastors, well-respected pastors from the state of Iowa um, have, have already scheduled an appointment. They're going to go. They're going to meet with Governor Branstad. And they are going to present to Governor Branstad a petition uh, that, was, that hopefully is going to be signed by thousands and thousands of citizens of the state of Iowa requesting him. We respect your uh, office. We're not coming against you. We are only asking that you would just remove your title from this event Now, you may not be ready to, to position yourself in the place of sorrow, of mourning over this and other sins of depravity uh, in this nation. But maybe this morning you could just see your way clear enough to say, you know what? This isn't appropriate for adults, let alone for youth. And I am willing to at least ask the governor to please remove his name. We have those petitions. They're out here this morning. I would encourage you, if you can at least stand in agreement with us on that, please sign that petition, and we will make sure to add our petition to the many petitions that are being circulated in churches across the state of Iowa as we speak. Again, just imploring the governor, please remove your title from this. Let's be realistic, folks. If there is no pushback, if there is no response to this, Can you imagine how emboldened they will become next year in future events? How much more depraved the content will become if they think no one cares what they're talking about to our youth. Again, if this isn't the line for you, if this isn't having gone too far, what is, what will it take? Now, can I acknowledge, no matter where you may land on the whole gay, gay marriage issue, I think we can all agree that what was shared at this conference has nothing to do with acceptance or anti-bullying. This is indoctrination. This is advocating a lifestyle that, in my opinion, is physical and spiritually destructive. And all of this is being done, was done without the consent, the knowledge of the parents As a matter of fact, one of the leading state senators found out about this because his constituents started calling him and saying, are you aware of what happened at this event? He knew nothing about it. Kids were coming home and the parents were saying, how was the event in Altoona? And the kids were like, my gosh, you're not going to believe what we we heard. parents were shocked, had no idea their kids were going to something like that. They began calling and saying, what's going on? Our tax dollars are paying for this? We have no knowledge. We didn't give consent to this. And so he began to expose this. And people came against him. They're attacking him now. They're saying he's a gay hater. He's homophobic. And he's not at all. So we're just asking the governor, please remove your title from this event. And hopefully that'll be enough to get schools to begin to withdraw their support and their attendance at future events like this. An accurate translation of Matthew 5, 4 may be blessed. Blessed is the one whose heart is broken. Only not only over our sins, but the sins of others, the sins of cities, the sins of States, the sins of nations. He says, for out of their mourning, their godly sorrow, Jesus said, you shall find the joy, the comfort of God. Jason and I talked this week about uh, the upcoming message. And we kind of worked through the songs that we thought would maybe be an appropriate response to this message and one of the songs Jason did this morning and I think he really kind of accentuated again one of the lines was break my heart for what breaks yours and invited you to pray that prayer that is a dangerous prayer to pray do you want that this morning do you want the things that break God's heart to break yours you gotta ask him for it You've got to ask to be led into this. You've got to ask God to position you in that way, and He will. He's not going to force it on you. But if you truly want to be blessed, if you really want to possess God's favor, if you really want the kingdom of God within your heart, we've got to be willing and wanting. Say, God, position me in a place where I can begin to mourn, to cry with sorrow over the sins of this city of our nations, and that God, in that crying, that mourning, that God, you will break through with with revival. God, you will there will be spiritual breakthroughs. God, your glory is going to begin to sweep across this land, that it's going to begin to turn the hearts of the people away from their sinfulness towards you. That's the joy. That's the comfort that comes from that kind of mourning, revival, repentance, spiritual breakthroughs. That's why Jesus says, blessed are they that mourn. There's a weightiness to that. I love how J- Jason used that word. There's a weightiness to this. There's a heaviness to that invitation to mourn. But there's also that dimension of fullness of joy. There is a dimension that comes with that mourning. There's also a dimension of comfort. And they're kind of just both of those experiences held together in this glorious tension. It's not one without the other, Jesus said. It's both together, the mourning and the comfort, the mourning and the joy. He's not calling us to enter a place of joy where there is no mourning. He's not calling you into a place of mourning where there is no joy. It is the two together daily in the life of the believer that Jesus is calling us to. Do you hear that calling? Will you respond? Let's stand. Father, we just stand before you this morning, and God, this is not something I can ask you for on behalf of anyone else here this morning other than myself. God, we have to ask you to bring us to that place of mourning, that place of sorrow over our sins, the sins of other people, cities, states, and nations. Knowing God that, that that morning will break into dancing, that morning will break into comfort, that, that morning will give way to that fullness of joy, and God to be able to experience the two of them again in that that tension, that glorious tension, we have to ask for. And God, I can't do that for anyone other than myself, and so this morning, God, I just I bring the people before you. And God, you hear the prayer, you hear the cry of their hearts. And God, I pray, Lord, for those who are being asked, Lord, to be led, to be brought to that pathway of blessing through mourning this morning, God. I pray, Lord, that you would lead them. God, that you would guide them. God, you're not gonna abandon us in this. So for those this morning that have the heart to do it, maybe and don't know how, God, we thank you, Lord, that that you're going to walk us through it. You're going to guide us. You're going to lead us. Lord, we just ask, God, we want to walk in the, the fullness of that blessing this morning. That as we mourn again, God, there will come that breakthrough of comfort. And so, God, I just pray, Lord, for the hearts here this morning, God, that are asking you, God, to position them in such a way, Father. I just pray, Lord, that you would strengthen them. God, that you would give them an awareness of your presence in this and through this. And again, Father, thank you, Lord, that you care, you love us so much, God, that, Lord, you're looking... Not just within this congregation, but through the land, Lord. You're looking this morning for those that are willing to stand in the gap, to be those watchmen on the wall. And, Father, this morning, Lord, I just pray as we look to you, God, that you would just find hearts this morning that would say to you, here I am, God, use me. And, Father, we just thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.